Hello, everyone. My name is Izzy Grant. And I'm Sydney Fisher. And this is our podcast, The Nature of Disaster. After reading Lucretius's didactic poem, The Nature of Things, we were especially struck by his ending, in which he provides us with a detailed account of the plague that struck Athens in 430 BCE and wiped out the population. He describes this plague as a greedy disease that never ceased to spread, affecting both humans and animals. This plague did not have a common remedy that would be sure to save anyone, and death from this disease was practically inescapable, for even the odd survivor eventually died from the remaining effects of the illness. Ultimately, this plague blighted fields and left no traffic on the roads. It quickly made the heavy populated place a ghost town, as the disease flowed between the country and the town. What is most intriguing about this passage is that the cause of the plague is never identified, leaving the reader to wonder what created this plague. Was it nature or was it humans? It could be said that the plague was naturally caused from bacteria in the air, land, water, or even animals. Yet it could also be argued that humans created the plague through a lack of sanitation or overcrowding of the land, as everyone lived in close quarters. This led us to wonder about the modern-day disasters we are seeing even more frequently, from droughts, wildfires, and hurricanes, to climate change, deforestation, and oil spills. The list only goes on. Are these catastrophes we face today natural occurrences or causes of humanity's effect on the environment? And maybe the distinction between these two entities isn't so black and white. Either way, we hope to further develop the answer to this by examining four particular examples of both natural disasters and human-created ones, identifying the causes, impacts, and close relationship between humans and the environment. The first example we want to look at is wildfires. This past year in particular, we've seen extreme wildfires in both California and Alaska. While wildfires have become normal in Alaskan forests, Alaska faced an extreme fire season this year, lasting through September instead of July, when they usually come to an end. These fires burned over 2.5 million acres of land, including houses and buildings, and many people are coping with severe smoke conditions due to the toxic composition of the fire emissions. This extended and intense season of fires was due to record-breaking temperatures and dried-out vegetation. After talking with my friend, a resident in Anchorage, it became clear that this long-lasting summer of fires had a lot to do with a warming climate due to human activity. She mentioned that yesterday, December 2nd, 2019, was the first time they got snow in Anchorage this year, which is extremely late. She also told me about the Swan Lake Fire on the Kenai Pe Peninsula and the McKinley Fire north of Anchorage, two of the worst fires of the season. The Swan Lake Fire sent particulate population levels in the Kenai Peninsula to some of the worst measured in the world. Her family owns a summer cabin in this area, an area famous for its outdoor activities. However, tourism was stunted due to these fires. The McKinley Fire destroyed more than 130 structures, half of which were homes, displacing hundreds of people in the area. My friend's brother is a wildfire firefighter, and he spent the entire summer fighting these blazes. Legally, the maximum period of time he can be in these fires is 14 days, with two days off, and that is what his summer consisted of. A long stretch in which he would go in for 14 days and come out for two, just to repeat the cycle again. This goes to show that we now have to constantly send people out to fight these fires, which is much different than how wildfires were dealt with in ancient times. 
As Hughes points out in Environmental Problems of the Greeks and Romans, wildfires in the Mediterranean usually burned until they reached a barrier or were put out by the rains. They would not be fought unless they threatened a settlement. And while these fires, especially during dry summers, were catastrophic and contributed to erosion, the plants were adapted to fire and were able to recover. Today, however, the scale of these fires is too great. This was the first year Anchorage declared they were facing a severe drought, and this only worsened as it was quickly labeled an extreme drought. This summer of fires followed a common trend of extremes Alaska faced this summer, including record heat, intensive meltdown of glaciers, lightning in unlikely places, and extensive die-offs of animals like whales, seals, birds, and salmon as they can no longer survive in the warming waters. As my friend said, the scary part is that this is only getting worse. Summers are getting hotter, winters are getting shorter, and the waters are getting warmer. It makes me wonder if wildfires, often considered to be a natural disaster, are no longer an entirely natural phenomena, but instead created in reaching record strength because of our human footprint on this earth. To go off of Sydney's informative discussion on the detrimental effects of Alaskan wildfires, Hurricane Sandy was one of the deadliest and most destructive, as well as the strongest hurricanes of the 2012 Atlantic hurricane season. Hurricane Sandy began on October 22, 2012, and ended on November 2, 2012. The total fatalities from the hurricane were 285, and the highest wind speed reached was 115 miles per hour. Sandy began as a tropical wave in the Caribbean on October 19th and quickly developed into a tropical storm in just six short hours. Sandy tore through the Caribbean, making landfall at Jamaica on October 24th. After leaving this island, the storm gained strength over open water and became a Category 2 hurricane. The storm hit Cuba on October 25th, and on October 26th, it swept across the Bahamas. On October 27th, Sandy turned north toward the United States coast. The streets were flooded, houses were flooded or destroyed, and trees and power lines were knocked down. People were left stranded in their homes and waited for rescue boats to rescue them. In total, 650,000 homes were destroyed. New York in particular was the most severely impacted due to damage to the subways and roadway tunnels. Izzy, I know that this storm had a personal impact on you and your family since you're from Long Island. Can you tell us about the firsthand effects that you experienced? Sure, Sydney. I was without electricity for two weeks, and my elementary school was closed for over two weeks. My family and I also had to move in with our grandparents. My family and friends were directly impacted, but even worse than my family was. My aunt and uncle live on the canals of Long Island in a small town called Babylon, and my best friend lives on the beach in a small town called Long Beach. Both of their houses were completely flooded with around six feet of water. The boardwalk of Long Beach was completely destroyed, and the beach was non-existent. Their towns were flooded for weeks, and yet people today are still rebuilding and recovering from the storm. The boardwalk was rebuilt recently, and the sand dunes are being reconstructed to prevent serious water destruction. Hurricane Sandy is a two-sided coin that housed both human and natural destruction. Yes, it was naturally caused, but hu humans were unable to help the situation or prevent it. At the same time, Humans do slightly impact this form of natural disaster. Humans heat the planet and water that causes this disaster. There is a slight impact, but not as significant as the human impact of wildfires. While both wildfires and hurricanes are considered to be primarily naturally caused environmental problems, 
There is no argument that deforestation is a human-created environmental problem. Deforestation has been a threat since antiquity, as Hughes points out in his book, Environmental Problems of the Greeks and Romans, as he says that the removal of forests resulting in erosion was the most widespread and prominent environmental problem that they faced. This stemmed from wood's dominance as a material for buildings, tools, machines, transportation, and fuel. Even though today we have metals, coal, and oil for these applications, deforestation is still a result of economic drives and desires. We have seen this take place in its most extreme form in the Brazilian Amazon rainforest, in which deforestation increased by 30% in the span of a year, amounting to an estimated 3,769 square miles between August 1st of 2018 and July 31st of 2019. To put it into perspective, this is an area greater than the Yellowstone National Park. Deforestation in 2019 has been the highest it has been since 2008, and with the Brazilian president's economic drive to open the Amazon up to more logging, mining, and industrial agriculture, continued acceleration is more than probable. This illuminates the role that politics play in driving destruction levels in some cases. The forest also continues to get cleared for farming and cattle ranching as Brazil is the largest beef exporter in the world and 80% of the soy that is grown in the Amazon goes to feed these animals. The number of fires in the Amazon has also increased this year, proof that this is due to human activity as the Amazon rainforest does not burn naturally. This is extremely concerning given that the Amazon has one of the highest amounts of biodiversity in the world. The environmental impacts on this forest without human intervention are extensive. The trees keep the air cool, the forest provides water to nearby farms and cities, and its soil and vegetation are an extensive reservoir of carbon. Therefore, destruction of the rainforest threatens rainfall patterns, air quality, and production, as well as the diversity of plant and animal species. None of these damages are naturally created. Instead, it is an environmental issue created by humans imposing ourselves on the land and taking any material that will benefit us. As Sydney alluded to, Hughes addresses that in antiquity, the Greeks and Romans were heavily dependent upon the natural resources around them. Wood was primarily used as a source of fuel. Today, however, we use oil as a means of fuel. Although the threat of oil was not necessarily as severe in antiquity, the overuse of oil by humans has posed a threat for significant human-caused disaster today. The oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico was considered the largest oil spill of history. The spill began on April 20, 2010, when a BP oil pipe leaked 42 miles off the coast of Louisiana. The pipe was capped 87 days later on July 15, 2010. However, an estimated 3.19 million barrels of oil had leaked. The leak killed 11 people, and there was extensive marine life and land damage from the spill. The Gulf itself is home to 22 different species of marine life, and majority of these species were negatively impacted. Oil accumulation began on animal skin and developed inside of the animals. This made it difficult for marine animals like dolphins and whales to breathe. Birds were covered in oil and lost the ability to fly, dive for food, or even float on water. The ingestion of oil killed many animals immediately, 
and animals experienced liver, lung, and kidney damage from excess oil. The spill likely harmed or killed about 82,000 birds of 102 species, about 6,165 sea turtles, and as many as 25,900 marine mammals. Over 80,000 miles of fishing area was closed due to oil toxicity. Ocean currents and winds had spread the oil across majority of the Gulf. This led to an increased risk of contamination. Today, the environment is still recovering from the spill. And clearly, this is an extreme human-caused form of environmental destruction. Similar to the human-caused deforestation, human benefit is clearly put before the needs and protection of our environment. It's interesting to look at these various modern disasters in comparison to those of antiquity, with the realization that not much has changed through time. It is still very evident that there is a closely knit relationship between humans and the natural world, making it hard to distinguish which of these disasters are natural and which are created due to our human footprint on the world. Maybe, in fact, there is a difference between these two entities, but it's hard to differentiate when human intervention has such large effects on the environment. I can't help but wonder what these natural occurrences would look like without humans on Earth. Yes, these events would probably still exist, but it is plausible that the damage and impact would not be nearly as severe and these catastrophes wouldn't be occurring as frequently. As Hughes points out in Environmental Problems of the Greeks and Romans, there is evidence showing that droughts, floods, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, wildfires, fluctuating temperatures, plagues, diseases of plants and animals, and many more issues existed in some form in the ancient world. However, they lack the intensity, magnitude, and range that they do in the modern world today. He goes on to inquire about whether or not the Greeks or Romans were aware of these problems and if they reflected on them, sought out their causes, or attempted to address them. This is still the same problem we face today. As our impact only gets greater, we need to acknowledge this and look to address the issue so that we, as humans, are not the reason for the natural disasters that constantly occur in our world today. In the end, whether a disaster is created by nature or by humans, it is still taking place and affecting the world we live in. However, our negative actions have negative consequences, as we are only aiding these disasters to become even more damaging, more frequent, and bigger, not only in the near future, but in the now, too.